those of you that are watching online, right now we're just giving praise to God of all the things that he's doing in people's lives. And guys, listen to me. Can I just tell you that I'm convinced that this right here is exactly what God has called us to do, for us to tell others about the good things that he's done in our life. And can I tell you why? Other people need to hear it. Because there's some people that's here that's hearing what God is doing in your life, and they need to believe that if God did it for them, that he's no respecter of persons, and that he'll do it for them also. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, hey, I'm excited to teach God's word this morning. Can we thank the worship team? You guys are amazing. Thank you, guys. Man, just setting the stage here. And uh, if I can, I want to just kind of, as I was in worship, I had this picture and I wanted to kind of try to relay this. I hadn't really thought this through. It was just a picture that God brought to my heart during worship. But I feel like it's very applicable in this moment, but also in other times in, in our walk with God. But uh, many of you know, and I'm, I'm so glad that my wife is in here this morning. But uh, Jody is still, we are still pressing in and believing for her to get her voice. And as I have declared uh, to you all many times, she will speak by the end of this year. I'm telling you, I'm, te I'm telling you before it happens, and I'm already praising God and thanking God before it happens because that's what faith does. Faith doesn't wait until God gives the answer. That's just being grateful. But faith says, I believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And I thank you for many of you that have been be uh, believing for her. I know Jody, Jody Center is shaking her head like, yes, and amen. So thank you, guys. But I had this picture, and I love how the God uses every little small thing in our life, but... When Jody and I are at home, when she speaks, I can hear her with no problem. But whenever we're out in public, like when we're in a restaurant or even in, in a hallway and, and there's other people, it's real difficult for me to hear. As a matter of fact, I, I can't hear. And so what I have to do is I have to draw near to her. Some of y'all know where I'm going with this. <laughs> and there are some times, like we love going... To Julington Creek Fish Camp, and I'm not trying to, like, you know, uh, give them a little, but that's a good place to eat. But it's a loud place to eat. And so when we go there, something with the acoustics, it's so loud. And so I won't sit across the table from her, but I will sit, like, hip to hip next to her, like, right there. And when she goes to talk, I have to put my ear right up against her mouth to be able to hear it. Now, here's what the Lord showed me, and I believe that this is applicable right now in this moment. But I also believe that it's applicable in our prayer time and in our devotion time. But there are times in our life when the enemy, or I'm sorry, when God will silence the voice of the enemy. And we can just hear him so clear. And aren't you grateful for those moments? I know that I am. But you know what else I believe? I believe that there are times that the enemy, or I'm sorry, that God will allow the enemy's voices just to be out there. And how many of you know there's always voices out there? But God allows it because he wants us to draw near. And as we draw near and as we lean in and as we press in to God, we can hear what he wants to say to us. Now, I'm saying that to set you up for right now because God's put a word in my heart to share with you guys and to equip you guys with this morning. And I want to encourage you to press your ear in, not to just what Pastor Chris is saying, but to what the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to you this morning. All right? And there's always going to be voices, voices that says, well, we're we going to eat afterwards. Voices that, you know, in our phone that buzz and said, oh, somebody just, you know, sent me a message on Facebook Messenger. There's all kinds of voices, right? But watch this. There's times that those voices won't be silenced, but what we have to do in the midst of all those loud voices is we have to press in and we have to get near. We have to draw near. So can we do that right now? Just join me in prayer. Father, we, we do draw near to you. We press in, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for what you're doing in each of our lives. Thank you, Father, for the transformative work that you're doing in our heart. Thank you, Father, that the work that you've began in each and every one of us, God, you will bring it about to completion. So, God, I thank you that, Lord, we do have ears to hear. Your word says, let he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, to the body of Christ. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak to our body now, Lord. May we posture our heart towards heaven. May we press in. May we lean in. Thank you, precious Holy Spirit, for being here with us. 
have your way in this place. Tear down strongholds and lies that, that have been believed by the enemy. And God, I pray that you would just give us a heart of the flesh instead of a heart of stone, God, where it's needed. We pray. We love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we are starting a new series called Marked. And I want to start by saying this. You are marked by God. I said, you're marked by God. And I know that sometimes that can sound a little cliche, you're marked by God, but you need to know this because there's some of you that, that are here this morning and, and you're discouraged. And things haven't worked out the way that you had hoped that they would work out. And things have not worked out the way that you even prayed that they would work out. And you began to doubt and question, does God really have something great for my life? Like, is there more to this job than I'm working? Is there more than how this marriage has been? Is there more? And I just want to say to you, yes, there is more. God has marked you for purpose. God has marked you as an agent of change. God has marked you for destiny. He's anointed you. He's called you for more than you could ever possibly imagine. But you've got to believe that it's true because, watch this, the enemy is telling you to quit. Like he's telling you that you're too old. Like maybe when you were in your 20s or, or your 30s, you might have been able to do it. But I just want to say to those of you that are here that are in your 50s, your 60s, and even your 70s, that the best is yet to come. You might not have had the energy that you once have, that's okay, but guess what? Wisdom trumps energy. <laughs> Are you with me? Like, take what you know and the things that God has shown you and then pass those things along to the younger generation who does have the energy to make those things happen. Because while, you know, uh, they may have the energy, guess what? They're not able to carry out because they don't have the wisdom to be able to carry it out which is one of the many reasons that we need all generations in the church. We don't just need to be an old church or just a young church, but we need to bridge those generations together. As a matter of fact, let me just say it because I just feel a, a, something right there in my gut on that. Let that go both ways. And what I mean by that is uh, those of you that are in your older years, right, look for a young person to pour into. Young people, look for an older person to, to, to pour into. Go to them. I'll tell you what, I know very few people that are older, that young people, if you went to them and said, hey, speak into my life, give me some life lessons, some wisdom, that's going to say no. Almost everyone, at least in this building, is going to say yes. Are you with me? But what I'm talking about here this morning, though, guys, about being marked by God and about God having great things for you, I'm not just talking about those that are in their golden years, but I'm also talking about those of you who you've doubted how God could do anything great in your life. Like, how can God do something in my life like after the second bankruptcy? Like, how can God do something great in my life after the second divorce? Like, what am I supposed to do next because I've applied to four different colleges and none of them is allowing me in? But I'm here to tell you this morning that no matter the denial, God has still marked you. No matter what the trial is, God has still marked you. And no matter what you're facing right now, God has still marked you. Come on, everyone say, I'm marked. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is I want us to look throughout this series through some various men and women of God throughout the Bible that were marked, that were anointed, and that were called by God. And I thought that a great place to start would be with David. David was marked at a very young age, but there was a long process before he got to the palace. There was a developing before he got to his destiny. And how many of you know that this is true of you and me, just as it is with David? But watch this. What I have found is that what the enemy is unable to destroy, he will distract he can't destroy us, so he tries and distract us. 
And watch this. I've witnessed this happen time and time again in other people's lives. And I've even witnessed it in my own life. I'm talking about times when we were on fire for God, but this thing happened. And then that thing happened. And the next thing you know, you're distracted. You start to question the call of God on your life. But I just want to speak the word of God over someone who you've believed the lie that you've messed up too many times. You've believed that God can't use you. You believe that you're not one of these that we're talking about this morning, those that have been marked by God. Well, God says this of you in Jeremiah 1.5. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You know what that means? That means that God called you before you had anything on your resume. That means you didn't earn anything that you got, the call, the mark. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now, I've said this to you many times, but your pulse is proof that you have a purpose. Listen, if your assignment was over, you wouldn't have a pulse. Are you with me? Your earthly expiration date, it's not up until you breathe your last breath. But you need to believe that this is true or else you're going to start living a lie. You'll start living like God is done with you or that he isn't going to do anything significant in your life. And watch what happens. When that happens, it ends up breeding discouragement. You say, well, but pastor, you don't know all that I've been through. You're right. I don't know all that you've been through, and you don't know all that I've been through. But you know what I do know? I know faithful is he who began a good work in you to complete it because God doesn't leave anything unfinished. You may not see it. As Eric said, you may not feel it. And yet your experience may not yield the fruit of it in your life, the proof of it in your life, yet still you are marked by God. Come on, say to the person next to you, say, you're marked by God. Now, open up your Bible with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And before I read, I want to give you a, a little bit of a backstory. There was this king. His name was Saul, who was once marked, who was once anointed, called by God. And a lot of people, by the way, those of you that know the story, you think that Saul was like this bad guy from the beginning, um, but that simply wasn't true. Like, he was anointed. He was uh, marked. Uh, but Saul started doing things his own way, and God lifted his anointing from him. Now, Samuel was the prophet during this time, and he's the one who anointed Saul as king under God's direction. But now God speaks to Samuel, and he tells Samuel that he's going to be calling someone else. And that he's going to be lifting his anointing from Saul's life, but that Saul would still remain in leadership. And let me just put a pin in that point right here and say, you can still have people in leadership without God's anointing. Hey, just because they've got the title doesn't mean they have the anointing. Just because they have a big church, that's not an indicator that God's hand is on their life. I've watched many pastors, many business leaders start out with the call of God, the anointing of God, and then they traded the anointing for a system. They traded their call for something they wanted more than what God had for them. Kind of much like Esau, which I know is another story for another day, but who traded a greater thing for what he wanted now. Church, don't give up. What is going to mean the most to you later for something of less value now. And so Saul started doing things his own way and God marked someone else. He anointed someone else to be the king of Israel. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house with the direction of the spirit of the Lord to find the next, of king, the next king of Israel. And that's where we're going to pick up our text right now. And that's 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want you to look with me at verses Six right now. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward 
appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And aren't you thankful that God doesn't see us the way that people sees us? Like God doesn't, he doesn't judge you based on your education. He doesn't judge you based on how many TikTok or Instagram followers you have. And he doesn't judge you based on the size of your bank account. He said, people judge by the outward appearance. The Lord says, I don't judge that way. Now, that's good news for all of us right here, right? Verse 8 and 9, it says, then Jesse called Abinadab, and he had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, and Samuel says, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had all seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Then in verse 11, it says, to Je- he asks of Jesse, he says, are these all the sons that you have? He says, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesse didn't even call David by his name. He defined him by a characteristic that was unattractive. Like many times, whenever you're marked, people will look at you and see what you've done, or they look at you and they see what you're currently doing, and they try to like sum you up as that's who you are. Oh, she's the one who got divorced. Oh, he's the one who lost his business. And they do that by referencing an unappealing feature or or a trait. Oh, he's the one who's trying to do this, but he's not any good at that. She's the one with the weird hair and who's a little overweight. But watch this. God doesn't see things the way that people do. As a matter of fact, I have found that God is quite fond of using the things that the world considers foolish to confound the wise. David was out back tending the sheep, probably smelled, certainly had his work clothes on, and wasn't even called by his name when Samuel asked if Jesse had any other sons. Verse 11, Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he went for him, and he brought him in, and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him, he marked him, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now I want us to dive into this a little bit more, but before I do, I want to give you a story, if that's okay. Of course it's okay, I got the microphone, right? (laughs) But growing up, as a child and as a teenager, I hung out with some rough-cut guys. Uh, I don't know why I was just kind of um, drawn that direction, but they were guys who they were into stuff they shouldn't have been into and guys who they liked to fight a lot. And um, by the way, this was in a time whenever people would get mad at one another and they wouldn't pull out guns and shoot each other. They'd just go out back and settle it with their fists, right? And... Um, You can imagine what that meant for me. I got in a lot of fights as a kid. And come to find out, in my teenage years, uh, I was pretty darn good at fighting. (laughs) And uh, and then even in my 20s, I got to spend a little bit of time practicing martial arts. And then I took a lot of shots from some trained tough guys. Now, I tell you that to say um, and to tell you about the hardest hit that I ever received. It wasn't from another black belt. It wasn't from fights that I got into in the school parking lot or on the football field or outside of clubs. But the hardest hit that I ever received in my entire life was when I was in seventh grade. And I got hit right in the middle of the face. I mean, man, I got pegged right here in the middle of the nose. And it came, you ready, from a girl. Someone got that one right. She was bigger than me, just to throw that out there. Just saying. But it came from a girl when I absolutely did not see it coming. My point, the hardest hit is always the one that you don't see coming. Like that's the hit right there that hurts the most. It's the one that you're not prepared for. And it's the one that will try and knock you out. 
And I say this because there are some of you in this room this morning that you've taken some hard hits in life and you didn't see it and it tried and knocked you out. It at least knocked you down. I'm talking about some of you who you've lost loved ones. I'm talking about some of you here that your, your, your partner cheated on you. I'm talking about the, the, the friend who spread that rumor about you. Or those of you who you lost your business during COVID. And the enemy, he is standing over you saying one, two, three. And you're debating, should I even get up? But I just want to say to you, it's time to get up because you are marked by God. The fight is not over. You have a destiny. To those of you that are here that may not have had any hard hits in life, get ready. Because hard hits are coming. And I know that's what many of you don't want to hear, but watch this. I'm not, more, I'm not interested in making you feel good. I'm here to equip you for whenever those moments do come in your life, you won't get knocked out. See, in the, in the church, we always want to talk about how God is setting us up for a blessing, and I believe that he does set us up for blessing, but there are times that he sets us up for some hits too. So what I'd like to do this morning is to prepare you uh, for a, a few of those things, because, uh, and by the way, if you're here and you're saying, well, brother, I just don't receive that. that, that's not a biblical thing, well, then you must be reading a different Bible than I'm reading. I mean, like, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes up on you. Notice it doesn't say if it comes up on you, but when it comes up on you, to what? To test you. Now, here's what's most important, because the enemy's the one who tempts, God's the one who tests. It doesn't say tempt, it says test. So that tells me that God allows it to come into our life because he wants us to be tested. And it's a good thing that we're tested in our life. I had brain surgery four months ago, and I'm glad that my brain surgeon had been tested. I'm glad that my mechanic didn't work on my brain. And so the things that God's called you to in life, you need to be tested because what can be tested can be trusted. It says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes up on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That shot that I took in middle school, the hardest shot that I ever felt, it hit so hard because I didn't have my guard up, and I wasn't braced for impact. You see, whenever you see the hit coming, and you know where it's coming from, you can defend yourself, and you can brace yourself when that hit comes. And so again, what I'd like to do this morning is just to kind of prepare you for a few things that will inevitably happen in your life when you're marked by God. And so if you've not been taking notes so far, now's a good time for you to go ahead and to pull out your iPhones, your uh, whatever you take notes with, open up your eyelids, grab a hold of this. But I've got several key points that I want to share with you this morning. I'm going to try to get it all in there. I'll talk a little fast, all right, because i got to get it all in here. But the first point is this. If you are marked by God, you're going to be approved in private. You're going to be approved in private. Now, this right here, this messes with people because we want an Insta story. We want it all, and we want it now. But the problem is this. What God wants to do in your life is something that he will not put on display when it's in seed form. And this is tough for our culture to grab a hold of because we want everyone to know that we've been approved. We want everyone to recognize what God is doing in our life because he did speak to you and because he did give you that word and because he did touch your life. But watch this. Everyone doesn't need to know. God is intentionally approving you in private. Why? Because the easiest time to kill something is when it's in an infant stage. And many people are putting out their dreams, their visions, and their ideas out there when it's still in infancy. And guys, watch this. We've got to be careful to do that because people will come along and hear what you've spoken, and then they will come and try and kill it when it's still a baby. 
I mean, why do you think that King Herod had all of the male boys under two killed? Because it's the easiest to kill a king in kid form. And so I just want to encourage you. Just because everyone knows doesn't mean that you're not marked. God's marking you, and it almost always happens in private, guys. I'm just telling you, it does. I mean, consider David, if you would. David wasn't even invited to the party whenever Samuel came to anoint the next king. David was out back tending to the sheep, which tells me, first of all, that David was aware of what was going on because a good shepherd's always going to be aware of what's happening. And so you know that he knew that a caravan was coming to his house. But watch this. Notice that David didn't try to work his way into the meeting. But he just simply stayed at his post, continuing to do the last thing that he was called to do, and he remained in the presence of God. And as a result, Scripture says, they sent for him. And when he arrived, Samuel said, you're marked. And he anoints David. But then, David doesn't get to go out and tell everyone. What are you saying, Pastor Chris? I'm saying that there are those of you in this room whom God has called you to things that are greater than what you're dealing with right now. But you're still marked by God, even though no one knows. And if you don't see that hit coming, you'll start doing things to get the attention of other people. And someone will eventually come along and speak death into what God called to live. Are y'all hearing me this morning? I'm telling you that you're marked even if no one else recognizes it. And you may have family members that will say things to you like, well, you're never going to amount to anything. You're going to be just like your mama, just like your daddy, right? But it's time to shut up those voices that have spoken death over what God has called you to do because you are already approved by God. But the first step is approval first comes in private. I want you to notice something about David. Like when you read his story, you'll consistently read the words, and the Lord was with David, and the Lord was with David, and the Lord was with David. And do you know why the Lord was with David? The Lord was with David because David was always with the Lord. Let me say it this way. You can't have the presence of God without being present with God. Someone needs to grab a hold of that because you've been trying to find a breakthrough in your life and wondering why you haven't experienced the presence of God. Look, you can't go and grab that proxy by the person next to you whose face and tears. You can't get that from Eric. You know how Eric got that? Because he was drawing near to the Lord. How does, how does he have tears down his face? Because he's pressing into the Lord. You want the presence of God? You've got to be present with God. You've got to lean in. You've got to be like John who put his head right there on the chest of Jesus. Are you with me this morning? And I'll tell you what else I've learned about God. He isn't going to intrude on your busy schedule. You've got to make room for him. That's why the Bible says that, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open the door, I will come in to him and he with me and dine with me. You've got to let him in. See, here's what David's life teaches us, and that is to do the last thing that God has called you to do. Spend time in his presence, and then he will approve you in private. Let me give you the second thing that you need to know whenever you're marked by God. You're anointed before your position. Now imagine this picture, if you will. Samuel marks David. He anoints David, and he tells him that he'll be the next king of Israel. Now, most of us are going to be thinking, all right, man, here we go. I'm heading on to the palace. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll go with Samuel. Yo, man, let me catch a ride with you, Samuel, right? But watch this. David's next move, what was it? Back to the pasture. That's where he went next. Why? Because he was anointed before he got the position. Yet today, people are like, no, uh, no, 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 no. I'm anointed, so I need to be on the platform. I'm anointed, so I need to be the next CEO. But what God is saying is, I've anointed you, but first, I need you to go back into your sphere of influence where you can make an impact there. So God has anointed David as king, but he first sends him back to the sheeps and the goats. 
Kind of sounds like where some of you guys are going to be going on Monday morning, right? <laughs> but God is asking, will you make a difference there? Will you shine my light in a dark place there? Will you be my ambassador representing me there? And I'm teaching you this, church, because this is the hit that many don't see coming. I'm talking about whenever God has anointed you, but he says, now go back to the sheep. Keep serving in the nursery ministry. Keep setting up tables. Keep serving your boss. Keep serving someone else's vision until the appropriate time, because there's always an appropriate time for every vision. And in time, God will establish all that he's called you to. And by the way, when that happens, God will send those who will then come along and serve your vision. Are you following me, church? This is a critical, critical step in the kingdom of God because what God wants to do in your life, he's not going to let you take credit for it. It's not going to be because of your connections. It's not going to be because of how talented you think you are. Because watch this, and I can promise you this is true. God can take just one anointed man or woman of God and do more with them than 10,000 talented individuals. And that thought right there gives me encouragement because I don't always feel like I'm the most talented, but I know that I'm marked. I know that I'm called. And God anoints those that he calls. So it's not really a question about whether you're anointed. Really, the question is, how are you waiting? Because you're already anointed. But most of us wait like this. Any day now, God. I mean, come on, let's get this show on the road, Jesus. I'm ready. Let's roll. Whereas my kids would say every time we take a road trip, are we there yet? <laughs> and because I'm a good, good dad who tries to follow in the example of his good, good, my good, good father, I say to them, we'll get there. Come on, dads, help me out. When we get there, you know what I'm talking about. Moms know it too, right? And so the question is, how are we waiting? And by waiting, watch this. I don't just mean passing time, but how are you waiting as in at your service, God? And this is where God will do a heart check on us. Because remember, guys, God's concerned with the heart. He's not looking to your ability. He's looking for your availability. And God will look to see if you will go to the place that looks nothing like what you thought that it would be. But he's sending you there as a type of spiritual boot camp. And you may feel like you've long graduated uh, past that boot camp or past that basic camp. But God's saying there's some things that I want you to go back and to learn because you're going to need them for what I have planned for you. As a matter of fact, I wonder if that's not the reason that so many Christians are stuck. They think that they're, they're too good to follow God's directive and to go back and to tend the sheep. They think that they've already passed that test, and so they don't need to take it again. You see, pride will keep us from walking in the destiny that God has purposed for our life. Did you know that? David didn't get to go straight to the palace even though he was just anointed as king. He was sent back to his last assignment, which was tending the flock and spending time in God's presence. And this is critical for you to know because so many people will say, well, I feel God's call in my life, but I don't know what to do. And I want to just say to those, that of you, uh, those of you that are in that place, when you don't know what you're supposed to do, do the last thing that God called you to do. Like, that's what David did. And as a result, he became an answer to a problem, which is my third point for every person who is marked by God. When you're marked, you become an answer to a problem. 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 through 19 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. 
He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And then it says, and the Lord is with him. Verse 19 says, then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Now I want you to notice this. This is the second time that David is sent for. This is the second time that we find David being faithful at his post, tending the sheep, worshiping God. And I want you to notice something. David didn't fill out an application to go to the palace. He didn't use his connections to get into the front door. But because he was doing the last thing that God told him to do and spending time in his presence and perfecting what was in his hand, they sent for him. What are you saying, Pastor Chris? I'm saying that when you're doing what God has told you to do, you won't have to vie for your position. They will send for you. Now listen, watch this. I know this is counterculture to what our generation says. Like, our generation is like, oh, you better be grinding. You better be on your hustle. And look, there's nothing wrong with hard work. But what I'm saying here is that whenever you try to make things happen on your own in your own strength, going ahead of God, which, by the way, Christians do that all the time, what ends up happening is it leads to weariness, to burnout to disappointment and, and eventual straight discouragement. Because while you may come out of the gate running well, life is a marathon, my friends. And the only way that you're going to cross the finish line of what God has called you to do is by the power of the Holy Ghost. Paul says in Galatians 5, 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Now watch this, whenever we read this verse and hear this verse, I think that oftentimes whenever we think of the who, when it says, you know, who cut in on you, we think of the devil. But I think that oftentimes the who is actually us. We're the ones who think that we can do things on our own strength. Which, by the way, was the very thing that happened to King Saul and caused him to lose the anointing. Are you hearing me? Proverbs 3, 5 and seven, that sounds like a familiar verse, doesn't Pastor Daniel? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Can I just tell you that the best thing that you will ever do in your entire life is to trust God. And the safest place that you will ever be would be in obedience to what it is that God has called you to do. See, never will there be a time where you have came up with your master blueprint of what your life should look like, and you think that it's going to be better than what God has for you. I promise you it's not. God says, I know the plan that I have for you, and by the way, my plan is better than your plans because my thoughts are better than your thoughts, and I'm God and you're not, so why don't you just trust me? <laughs> David was doing the very thing that God had him do even though Samuel marked him and anointed him. But as a result, it led to David being summoned a second time. Only this time, watch this, notice that David, he didn't come bringing nothing, but he came as an answer to a problem. And I mention this because there are so many in the church today that are weak in the skills that God has given them. So much so that they don't even work on them anymore. You see, if David hadn't developed his playing, he wouldn't have even been invited to, meet, to the palace to meet the king. But when he was in the pasture, he was working with what was in his hands. And notice this, when David is summoned to the palace, he isn't summoned as a prince or as a king, the place where eventually he would be, but he came as a servant. You see, this teaches something about how God works in our life. God may allow you to taste your future, but not as a person of interest, but as someone that you're 
called to serve. So many times we get frustrated because we know that we're marked. And we know that we're supposed to be on the platform. And we know that we're supposed to be in that certain place. And God says, yeah, and I want you to go there and serve somebody. And if you think this isn't how God operates, then you may want to go and examine the life of Jesus. Who came as a baby, born as a peasant from a peasant teenage girl, who wasn't raised in royalty or in a king's palace, and who spent the first few years of his life hiding in Egypt, and who was a carpenter up until 30. Now imagine knowing that you're the son of God, but oh, by the way, you're going to have to go and swing a hammer for the first 30 years. And then, of course, Jesus himself said, I did not come into the world to be served, but to serve. Now, what makes us think that God is going to do something different in our life than what he did with his own son? David was anointed as king, but before God sent him to his eventual calling, he had to serve. Now, let me just mention another thought about serving while we're talking about this here. When you serve, you do it with a heart expecting nothing in return. Like we render our service as unto the Lord, and then God will reward our faithfulness. Church, I'm talking about us posturing our heart rightly before God in heaven. By the way, there's another leadership lesson that uh, we see from the life of David that I want to highlight. And this right here is a secret that most people, they never grab hold of. You see, David was qualified for another level of promotion because he tormented what tormented his leader. You want to know how to go to another level? Find someone that you call a leader and torment what torments them. That's the heart that God is looking for. Like teenagers, you want to find out what torments your parents? Those dishes are always dirty. Come on, amen, parents. Torment what torments them. And watch what God does in your life. You say, oh, that's so small, that's so insignificant. Oh, let me just tell you, friend, it starts with the small and insignificant things. God's not going to go out there and just give you something of great significance until you're faithful with the little. Faithful with the little, then you're going to be faithful with much. So please don't disregard that little illustration that I'm throwing out to you guys. Are you with me? God's interested in the little things. And he's interested in those who will take their eyes off of self and look for other ways in which they can become an answer to someone else's problem. And if you don't know what that might be in someone's life, ask them this question. What is your biggest challenge right now in life? And what you might find is that you might be the answer to their problem. Now, sure as I say that, somebody out there is going to be saying, no, Jesus is the answer to their problem. Well, let me just trigger your mind for a moment to a time when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, people are hungry. You need to feed them. And he looked at him and goes, me? Uh, you do something about it. Are you with me? Because there are times that we are the answer to people's problems. There are times that Jesus sends us as his ambassadors on the earth. There are times that we do his bidding on his behalf. As a matter of fact, I challenge you guys this week to look and to see how you can be the answer to someone else's problems. And if you'll do so, I can promise you that God will do a transformative work in your heart. Let me give you the fourth point regarding the mark of God on your life. I highly encourage you to write this down. Write all this down. Listen to this twice. This is so good, guys. Your opportunity is going to be wrapped in obedience. Now follow this thought with the storyline of David. David is anointed by Samuel. He's been summoned by the king to play for him because he's had these tormenting spirits, these evil spirits that's tormenting him. And David effectively ministers to Saul. And now he's got to go back home where he's got the dual duty of taking care of the sheep. And now here comes along Jesse, his dad, who then asks David, David, would you go and I need you to take these grilled cheese sandwiches uh, to your brothers who they're off fighting the Philistines. Now I don't know if you can picture this or not, but watch this. That required humility. And it required obedience, two things that God is very 
concerned about in our lives. You see, David could have said, Pops, <laughs> don't you remember? Like, I've been anointed by Samuel as the king. And oh, by the way, just in case you didn't know, I mean, I'm playing for the king regularly. Uh, I mean, why are you tripping and treating me like I'm Uber Eats? <laughs> but watch this. David was lowly in spirit. He understood that he was being elevated in his platform, but he also recognized that he was never too good to do what needed to be done. And this is a life lesson for us right here. For those of you who think like you may be regressing whenever you have to go back and do something that you've, won, that you've done before. Like you may have owned your own business at one point, but now someone else is writing your check. You may have used to been a manager, but now you're just an employee. I know that there's times in my life where God has had me experience this, which I believe are just simply tests to see if we still have the humility that we once had. Remember, it's when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord that then he exalts us. Now catch this. When we humble ourselves, the Bible says that God exalts us. In other words, he, he lifts us to the place to where we need to be. And when we do our job, God will do his, but when we do his, he'll do ours. Let me say that again because I'm not sure that you grabbed hold of it. When we choose humility and we do our job, God lifts us up. He's the one who raises us up. He does his job. When we do his job and we try to exalt ourselves, then he will humble us. Are you following me? Take that hard hit from the school of hard knocks from your pastor. David's life sets us an example that his opportunity here was wrapped in his obedience. I mean, David would have never met Goliath had he not done what his dad asked him to do, taking these cheese sandwiches to his brothers. He would have never had that opportunity. But I think this is where a lot of believers are. And what I mean by that is they are content. They're, they're content with what with, what they have in their life. I mean, look, David could have kept doing what he was doing. David could have, you know, kept going and playing for the king. I mean, not a bad gig, right? But that wasn't what David was destined for. Church, I want to tell you what I know for certain about you reaching your destiny. It's not only going to be reached by clothing yourself in humility, but also with radical obedience. And watch this. And matter of fact, I may preach on this next week. There is no shortcut. Look, we want a, sh we want a shortcut in, in, in our culture. We, we, you know, we, we're, we're mad when the microwave takes 20 seconds to warm something up. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. And what you've also got to recognize is that how God is working in your life quite likely is going to look different than the person around you. What I mean by that is God may be requiring something of you that he's not requiring of your peers, and he might be promoting them sooner than you. And watch this. Look at me. That's okay. It's okay. See, I found the greater the level of preparation, it's usually an indicator of the greatness of the call. Our purpose is to walk in humility and live in a radical obedience to God. Then God will put us where we're supposed to be in the right time. Now, let's look back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesse sent David to take the food to his brothers. And then in verse 20, it says, Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Did you catch that? It said he left the sheep. It says he left them in the care of a shepherd. And I think that that's an important point to see because whenever God call, uh, puts a call on your life, he never asks you to leave something undone in order to go start a new thing. And I've got to teach this point because, watch, the church is terrible at this. I mean, we are. We drop the God card and says, well, God told me. Right? Really? You'll stake your salvation on it, he told you? You need to be careful because God's word tells us what we need to do. Right? And God's called us to be good stewards. We've got to be faithful with the things that he's called us to do. 
Because what ends up happening is, and it happens all the time, is Christians leave stuff undone. They leave undone at the church when they leave the church. They leave stuff undone when they're in the workplace. You know, the worst day that waiters and waitresses, and I didn't have this on my heart, but listen, and, and hopefully you'll catch this, guys. You know what waiters and waitresses, any waiters and waitresses in here? Okay, for those of you, what day of the week is the worst day of the week for your tips? Sundays, because the waiters and the waitresses know it. When the church people go out, that's an indictment on the body of Christ. Don't you do that. If you can't afford a tip, go home and eat you a bologna sandwich. That's a Kentucky round steak from where I'm from. God never calls us to be bad stewards of what's in front of us. And if you ever abandon your post... By leaving something undone in pursuit of what you feel like God has called you to do, I'm just going to tell you, God's not going to bless it. Now, you don't have to believe me. Just go right ahead. You're going to find out, brother. Actually, what you'll find out is that what you've done to others, others are going to do to you. That's called the law of sowing and reaping. So if you want to step into the next thing that God has for your life, finish well with what's in your hands. Don't leave things undone. David left the sheep with another shepherd. He knew that it was his responsibility to see that those sheep were well taken care of. Now let me put this in practical application. Uh, my oldest daughter is working a job now. And I know that she's not going to be there forever. It's her first job. And, but I told her, don't ever quit your job without giving plenty of time to make sure that things are taken care of before you move on. Every business owner in this place should say amen. Let me give you another point. Write this down. It's point five. God elevates through obstacles. Now notice I didn't say around obstacles, but through obstacles. And this right here is the hit that takes most people out. Because most people, when they see obstacles, they retreat. And this is what the entire army of Israel was doing. They were retreating because of Goliath. For 40 days, Goliath blasphemed the name of God. And no one did anything about it. Except David. David shows up, passes off the cheese to his brothers, and asks, Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that's profaning the name of my God? And I'm sure attached to that was an underlying question that he didn't ask, which was, and why isn't anyone doing anything about it? David refused to allow this Philistine to defy and profane the name of his God. And where thousands took a step back because of this obstacle, David took a step forward. Because he saw an opportunity. See, obstacles and opportunities are often the same thing. It's just all about how you see it. So when you get that doctor's report and it doesn't look good, that's an opportunity for you to step forward and allow God to be your healer. When the bills come piling in and you don't have enough money to pay them, that's your opportunity to step forward and let God be Jehovah Jireh and bring his provision to your life. And when your kid isn't going in the direction that you know that God has purposed them for, that's when you step forward and you declare the word of the Lord over their life, believing that you've trained them in the way that they should go. And when they get older, they're not going to depart. Church, I'm talking about us trusting God through any and every obstacle, knowing that nothing is too difficult for him. Hey, when you're marked, we don't step away from an obstacle. We step towards it. Why? Because we know who's on our side. So David is looking at what everyone else called an obstacle, but he sees it as an opportunity. Now, why did David... See the opportunity that no one else saw. It's because God had taught him some things. He taught him some things when he was in the pasture, when he was behind closed doors, spending time in the presence of God. And so whenever David steps up 
he finds himself in the presence of the king. And the king isn't really convinced that David can carry out this task. I mean, he knows that he was a good guitar player, but this job required a warrior. But what Saul didn't recognize was that David had already killed a bear. And he had already killed a lion when no one was watching. And so now David was ready for that triple crown, right? David knew that he would win because he knew who was on his side. Church, let me ask you a question. What would you attempt if you knew that you wouldn't fail? Think about that. Now, after you answer that question, let me ask you, who told you that you would fail? Listen, I think it's time that we start stepping up where others have stepped back. I think it's time that we grab hold of the things that God has called us to. See, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. And sadly, too many believers, they breathe their last breath coming up short of all that God has destined for their life. Hey, I don't know about you, but I refuse to allow obstacles to stand in my way. I can either see that obstacle as a setback, or I can see it as a setup. A setup for what God wants to do in my life. Amen? Let me give you one more point before I wrap up today's message. We may have to spend a little bit more time on David. I'd planned on trying to unpack and unfold David in one message, and that was just going to be impossible. So we're going to kind of cut it and maybe bring it back in next week. But the next point that I want you to write down, grab a hold of, this is point six if you're taking notes. If you're marked by God, you must be you. And let me give a little bit of a context to this point. 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 40 says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to me. I cannot go in there, he said to Saul, because I am not used to it. So he took them off. Then he took his staff. That's what was in his hand as a shepherd, huh? He took the staff that was in his hand. He chose chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Saul tried to make David like Saul, but he wasn't Saul, he was David. And had he acted like Saul, I think that David's story might have had a different ending. But the point is this. God won't call you to be someone else. God will call you to be you. I think someone needs to hear this because you're here and you've been dressing a certain way. You've been talking a certain way. And you're doing things that you ordinarily wouldn't do, but you did them simply because you were trying to gain approval. But what you need to do is you need to go back to point number one because, remember, God has already approved you. God didn't call David to be like Saul. He called David to be David. God has called you to be you. And if someone doesn't like you for who you are, then that's someone right there that you don't need in your life anyway. Because if you have to fake it to get that job, to get that relationship, to get that position, then you're going to be carrying around another person's armor, which is going to be too heavy for you anyway. Are you with me? I just feel the unction of God's spirit to say to someone this morning, God loves you just as you are. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want to bring change in our lives because he does, but what it means is that God made you unique. He made you to be you. And he's marked you for greatness. He's marked you purpose. He's marked you with a destiny. And as one who's marked, you're going to be approved in private. You're going to be appointed before your position. You're going to become an answer to a problem. Your opportunity is going to be wrapped in obedience. And God will elevate you through obstacles. And finally, you must be
If you don't know the rest of the story of David, I encourage you to read it this week, and then you'll be one up on me next week whenever we share the second half of it. But David did defeat Goliath. I'll go ahead and throw that out there, right there. And he did it as David, (laughs) okay? And it opened the door for David to where he never went back home to live, but he stayed in the palace from then on. As a matter of fact, he ended up becoming like a brother and a best friend to the king's son, Jonathan. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. But the story of David right here, it teaches us that there is a process to the call. And that when we're marked by God, there's a right way to walk in that calling. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, 1. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Church, I have to say this because it's true. Not everyone reaches the finish line. But if you're alive and you're hearing this message, it's not too late for you to change course. You can carry out your God-ordained purpose. And the track to finding that purpose is in a surrendered life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me to your feet if you would, please. I believe that God is marking someone right now. I believe that either in this place or online, that there's someone who's here who by the Spirit of the Lord, he is wooing you. He's drawing you in. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And maybe you've been in church your whole life. I know a lot of people. I know, I've known a couple of pastors that had never even surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And they stood up here and taught God's word. So if that happens from pastor, I know it happens from congregation members. Where they come their whole life. And they've had this, I don't know, frontal cortex knowledge of God. But their heart's not been surrendered to him. So God's looking for your heart. He's looking for a surrendered heart. And some of you, God is marking right now by his spirit. He's knocking on the door. Many are called, but few are chosen. And I want to know who is here this morning that would say yes to Jesus. And the call that I'm asking for is the life that recognizes, first of all, that you need a Savior. Because, friend, the only way you will ever get to go to heaven, and I didn't talk about this in my message, but can I just tell you, because this needs to be talked about every time we gather together, because there's people who don't recognize this or they've not thought about it and it's my job to bring it to your attention every one of us will breathe our last breath and we never know when that day will be and when we do we're going to spend eternity in one place or the other a place that the Bible calls hell and some of you be like I can't I don't believe that God sends people to hell you know what hell is by the way it's a place where people choose to pay for their sins on their own and that's a shame that anyone would do that because Jesus came to pay the price for our sins so that we don't have to go to that place. But if you want to say, I don't want what Jesus is offering me in his forgiveness, I'll pay for it myself and I'll choose to go to hell. See, we we literally choose hell. God doesn't send us there. We choose it ourselves whenever we reject him. But when we receive him and the price that he paid at Calvary, when he shed his blood, he offered us forgiveness. He offered us the opportunity to be citizens of heaven. But even more so for now here on this earth, because I know you're probably going to wake up and go to work tomorrow, he has given us his precious Holy Spirit by which we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength so that we're not having to live this life on our own ability. But God wants to put his spirit within us so that we can do what we could never do in our own strength. So if you say, that's me, man, I want that. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want to surrender my heart to him. What I'm asking for right now, it requires humility, and it requires obedience, the two things that we talked about. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do this with everyone watching, because if you can't do those two things, and humble yourself, and be obedient, and say, Jesus, I say yes. The Bible says this, it says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. It says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And watch this. 
Every follower of Jesus that's following Jesus that's here, at some point, they had to do that. And they had to say, God, I need you. And so for those of you who you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you know you're not in right standing with God the way that you should be. Maybe at one point you had surrendered your life to Jesus, but right now you're far away from him. Well, prodigal, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. Your father stands with arms wide open. And so if you say yes to the invitation of Jesus, not of just this pastor's call, but of Jesus knocking on your heart, you say, I want to let him in. Would you say, yes, I, I want it right now. Put your hand up. Let's put it up. Put it up, and we're going to pray. I'm going to do, do this quick. So if that's you, put your hand up. Those of you that are online, you can join in with us. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to confess our need for a Savior, all right? So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and ask you to just join in with me. And we're going to pray that prayer surrendered out loud. Pray this. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you to be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. That you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave. And now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. 